Hi. Okay, you can mingle more after church. We have a great room out there we call the Commons. And by the way, there's free coffee out there too. Don't miss on that. If you're new, you may not know that. But today is going to be a little different. I'll just give you a little disclaimer up front. You know, we, we normally are going through books of the Bible. We finished Colossians. So this will be more of a little bit of a topical message in a way, but even a little strange of a topical. Because what I'm trying to do today is point us toward next weekend. Next weekend is Christmas Eve service, and every week here at Calvary, it's all about Jesus. But today and maybe next week, even more so, even more about Jesus. We're going to focus on Jesus. And it's only a week away. It's hard to believe. But today, I'm kind of pointing us there with the idea of my, my title today is Best Birthday Ever. Best Birthday Ever. Now, we know God doesn't really have a birthday, or I hope we know anyway. But Jesus did come to earth, fully human, fully God, so he did have a human birthday for a while while he was with us. And that's why I'm kind of calling it best birthday ever. And that'll be the next weekend will be our birthday party in a way. So this weekend, I'm kind of setting the stage. This is your invitation to God's birthday party, even though God doesn't really have a birthday. So we're going to kind of talk about some things about Jesus, talk about his name a little bit. We sung about his name give us some of the backstory. So it's all pointing toward next weekend. Don't miss it. Invite your friends, invite your neighbors, invite your coworkers. It's going to be awesome. But the theme is, that was our title, Best Birthday Ever. The theme would be more or less, you're all, I'm all. We're invited. We are invited to God's birthday party because he cared about you so much, he wants you to come to his party. But just so we're clear, you know, this is the Christmas season. Look at all these cool lights. We got trees. I know many of you probably have decorations at your own house. But we never want to forget, and we know this, we're believers. Jesus is the reason. If you're taking notes, you can even write this one down. Jesus is the reason for our Christmas season. And if you look on the screen, it's bolded his name, Christ. It's a title, really. Never forget that Jesus is the reason for our season. It's kind of interesting to me, too, by the way. You know, a lot of our world doesn't really, they claim anyway, they don't believe in Jesus. Well, they sure do like celebrating his birthday, don't they? Because, you know, they all like that part. But, you know, maybe that's an open door. Maybe that's an open door for us to invite somebody because maybe they've never been to a church service. They're a little nervous. They imagine it's all kind of strict and rigid and everybody has suits and ties. Well, you know, you can wear a suit and tie. I see a few now, but most of us dress pretty casual. Maybe that'll be your open door. So Jesus is the reason. That's the main thing. Now, we're going to look at a few verses today. Um, next weekend, Pastor Dave Folkerts is doing our Christmas Eve. He will teach and, and really read a lot of those again. So today we'll look at them more maybe in depth. We'll look at some of the backstory behind them. So really our, our service today is almost going to be preparation for next weekend in a way. We're going to get prepared for this party. And today I might even have a lot of what I would call information, but at Calvary we're not really big on information. We're big on transformation because Jesus transformed life. He transformed mine and yours, didn't he? So we're into transformation, but today will be a little bit more, like I said, information-weighted, but for a reason. We want to leave here today. My goal is really all of us, even me, we would leave here with a better appreciation of who Jesus is. Because, you know, in Scripture, it talks about he's our friend. He is our best friend. 
So we want to leave here thinking of him as even a better friend than he already is. That's kind of our goal. And that way, this, this appreciation will lead to next week where we have a bigger and better celebration for our best friend's birthday. Does that make sense? I know it's a little out there, but bear with me. It's okay. Um, why am I calling it a birthday party? And by the way, I may ask kind of a lot of questions today, and I'm really not wanting you to answer. I'm really wanting us all to think. In other words, these questions are just designed, let's think about this thing. So why am I calling it a birthday party? Well, think about birthday parties either you've had or you've attended or maybe had for your own children. When we have a birthday party, it's really about focusing on and, and kind of drawing the attention and celebrating the arrival, the birthday of that person. That's what we're doing the next two weeks. Today, and even more so next week, we're focusing on the arrival of Jesus here on this earth. It's celebrating him, really, because he's special. He's, he's our Savior. He's our Lord. And what a wonderful name he has. And how much more should we adore him than we already do? I don't know, but we can always adore him more, can't we? But birthday party, if you kind of run with this idea I'm planting in your mind already, birthday parties, well, for most of you, maybe not all of you, maybe some of you even one of these last-minute people, but for a lot of you, you get planning way ahead of time for a birthday, for Christmas, and you buy that special gift, you know, maybe six months, eight months. I do that for my kids sometime because I see something that I know they're going to love, and I'll buy it early and sort of hide it. And then trust them not to go find it, you know. That's another problem. And my son's in the room. i got to be careful what I say today. But if you're one of those plan-ahead people, we plan for that special person. So my question is kind of in a way, how long ago did God plan to send his son, Jesus, to us? And how, how long was that birthday party planned in a way? Well, to answer that question, we're going to look at um, some verses out of John 1, and we kind of sang a song about it actually in worship, but let's look at the verses. Here they are. John 1, 1 is verse 1 through 3. It says, in the beginning was the Word. Who's the Word? Jesus. And the Word was with God. And look, here's the real key. The Word was God. Jesus is God. He was always here, always existed he was with God in the beginning. That means God the Father. Through him, all things were made. So creation was made through Jesus. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So he predates our world, our universe, our existence. Remember what God told Moses when he said, what's your name? What should I tell the people? I am. Not I was, not I will be. I am. Jesus is also the great I am because he's always been here. But look at the next verse, John 1.14. This is more like the Christmas focus in a way. The word Jesus became flesh, came and made his home, made his dwelling among us. He came to earth as a human baby, really with the intentional purpose to save us from our sins. So it was always planned. It was a pre-planned birthday party for our benefit. So my real point is, before Jesus was ever born in that manger in Bethlehem, whatever the manger was, um, he always existed throughout all of eternity, and God had planned it that way. So if you're taking notes, the second thing you want to write today, Jesus always existed. 
We are going to talk about his birthday party in a way all day today, even though, once again, God didn't really have one. But before our world was ever created, Jesus was with his Father. He is God. It's the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they were all there. We can't get our head around that sometime, but Scripture tells us it's all true. So we're just, in a way, celebrating next weekend the arrival of him as a human being. And, and sometimes you'll hear people say, God put on skin and came down to see us. That's another great way to think about that. So if Jesus always existed, and I just showed us that, then when was the coming Messiah first predicted? When was he announced to come to see us? Well, to find that answer, we have to go back to Genesis. And I'll paraphrase before we get to the verse. You know, if you think about Genesis, Adam and Eve had a really perfect thing going, but they kind of messed it up. They messed it up by choosing to do their own thing. Remember, God warned Adam, don't go near that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What did he do? Not just go near it. They hung out around it. Eve gets deceived. They eat the fruit from it. Then everything went south for everybody, including us. Because that sin, when they did that, it really broke their fellowship with God. And then because of that broken fellowship, you know, God is holy. He can't be near sin. It really condemned them to death, and really death in two ways. They, they right then and there almost had a, a day of their departure, a physical death. But even worse than that, that's also the day they died spiritually, their spiritual death. But God, don't you love those two words? But God. God provided a way out. Jesus. Jesus is the solution to all of our sin problem and that separation from God. But when I eventually get to this verse in a few more seconds. You're going to read it, and, and we'll see there, though, God, he's talking to Satan but he's talking to Satan about Jesus, about the Messiah. And he, what he's telling Satan, he's telling him, you are a defeated enemy. You're defeated. We hadn't even started yet, and you're defeated. You're a loser. And here's why I want to remind us of something. Maybe this season, you're lonely, you're sad, you're struggling. It'll be the first season, maybe you've spent Christmas without a loved one at your house or a memory Satan will try to latch onto that and use it to condemn you, to tell you nobody loves you, you're lonely for a reason, it's all your fault. That is a defeated enemy talking. Don't believe that. It's nonsense from the devil. God loves you so much, he sent his one and only son to die for all of us, me included. So let's look at the verse about a defeated enemy. It's God once again speaking to Satan about Jesus. Here it is. Look what he tells Satan in Genesis 3.15. He, that's Jesus, he the Messiah, he will crush your head, more on that in a second, you will strike his heel. But then if we drop down a little bit to 1 John 3, 8, it tells us the reason Jesus came, the Messiah. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Once again, he's a defeated enemy. Both those verses say that. So don't listen to him. But that verse in Genesis 3, that's really the first promise we have of a Savior, of a Messiah, who will be able to pay for our sin. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes, too. But let me explain what that verse means, because maybe you're newer here, you haven't been at church much. Maybe this is your first time. You're wondering, what is that crush your head, strike your heel business about? Well, 
Satan could only strike Jesus' heel. In other words, he could only wound or hurt Jesus. And he did that. Think about when Jesus went to the cross. Think about all the painful stuff he went through. Remember, he was whipped. He was scourged. He had to carry his own cross. Then he had nails put through his wrist and his feet. So, and it said, you will strike his heel. Think of those nails going through his feet. But also, the real hope is, he will crush your head. And if you think of Satan as a serpent, what happens when you crush a serpent's head? He's kind of dead. That kills him. So Jesus crushes Satan's head. Now, Satan is still wreaking havoc. He's messing with us, lying to us. But if we go over to Revelation, he eventually gets thrown in the lake of fire. He's done away with forever. But even at this moment, he is a defeated enemy. It all happened at the cross where Jesus crushed his head, and all Satan could do was strike his heel. Well, we're going to stay in the Old Testament. Let's look at two more prophetic verses, and I could have picked a ton. There's a ton of prophetic verses. I think Pastor Dave is going to read quite a few of those next week. So I picked these two because these are some of the um, kind of less well-known ones. It's Psalm 118, and there's a little backstory about this one. But let's read it first. It says, the Lord's right hand. Think about where Scripture says Jesus is. Where is he? At the right hand of the Father. So the, the Lord's right hand, Jesus, is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. He saved us. Look, then look what it says. This is more the Messiah speaking this part. I will not die but live, and I will proclaim what the Lord, God the Father, has done. The Lord has chastened me severely. Think back to those events I just paraphrased about going up to the cross, the whipping, the scourging, the crucifixion. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he's not given me over to death. That's the promise of our Messiah. Because we do know, and we'll talk about that on Easter, he was in a tomb for a couple of days, three days. But then what happened? He rose again. That is our salvation, a risen Savior. But there's a backstory about this psalm that we usually don't know, and I, I studied a lot to get ready for this weekend, and here's what I kind of learned, and I just want to pass it on, because it's kind of a cool backstory. It doesn't really matter, but once again, you know, my goal is to, we all leave here knowing Jesus a little better. Think about him in this part of the story. Well, over in the Last Supper, there's some verses in Matthew, and I'm going to read one of them. It talks about they took communion, remember they broke bread, and, and it was a tough thing to hear that, you know, this is my body broken for you, this is my blood. Well, right after that, if you read the verse, I'm going to read Matthew 26, verse 30. Here's what Matthew 26, 30 says. It says, after they took communion, when they had sung a hymn, when they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. What hymn do you think they sang? Psalm 118. So now let me read part of that again. And you just imagine in your mind Jesus singing these words with or to his disciples. And when Jesus would sing that 118, I will not die but live. I will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has, he might have said will, chasten me severely, but he's not giving me over to death. That is their traditional song they would sing as they took Passover. That's the Passover hymn, if you will. 
So Jesus would have sang that right before going out to the Mount of Olives, and it won't be long before he's crucified. So maybe that encouraged the disciples. My belief is they probably didn't connect the dots till later, but they probably thought about it after the crucifixion. He sang that to us that he would not be given to death when they saw him resurrected. We're going to switch gears a little bit. Remember I told you this is a little interesting, different weekend. We're going to talk about Jesus' name. We just sang about his name because one of the questions I've gotten a few times over the years, and sometimes it's for newer believers, sometimes it's a mature believer, they'll ask me, why do different Bible verses use different names for Jesus? Well, he has a lot of names is the real answer, and we're going to look at one in a verse, but we don't want to get too crazy with his different names, and I'll explain more of that in a second. But let's look at um, Isaiah 7:14 first. Here's what it says, and this is a very famous Christmas Eve verse. We'll likely see this one again next week too. Look what it says. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin. That's important. We'll, we'll come back to that in a minute too. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and we will call him what? Jesus? No, Emmanuel. Emmanuel means something, though. All Hebrew, that's a Hebrew name. All Hebrew names mean something. Emmanuel means God with us. Some people say it, God is with us, because they're both true. He is with us. So the question I've gotten, why don't we call him Emmanuel? Well, just because. There's no exact reason, but he has a lot of names, and I'll get to that in a second. But as I read that verse, studied that verse, thought about that verse, you know, sometimes I think weird stuff sometimes, I think. What would his followers, in other words, what would the disciples have called him? You ever thought about that? doesn't really matter, but it's kind of an interesting little rabbit trail in a way. Would they have called him Jesus? Well, no, that's an English word. I'll help you out on that one. What name was he given that they would have recognized? What would his mother, what would Mary have called him? What would the disciples have called him? But before we get there, let me just make one thing clear. We're going to talk a lot about his name today. It doesn't matter. I'm not trying to tell you to change what you call him, what you think about. Think about all the wonderful names. Wonderful Counselor, my Savior, my Lord, Jesus. But really, think a bit more as getting to know your friend better, your friend Jesus. And here's something you can maybe even use in your own life, a kind of a, a parallel. A lot of you have what I would call casual friends. I have them. We all have them. Your casual friend, you know usually their first name, don't you? That's why there's a saying that we're on a first-name basis. That's where that comes from. But that's really all you know. If they're a better friend, you know their last name. So now you know two names. If they're your really, really, really good friend, maybe you know their middle name. And I'll give you an example of one of my friends. And he's already been giving me grief because I said this in the first service and some of the people used it on him. So you're welcome to do the same thing, by the way. Many of you know Pastor Ramon, don't you? Our Spanish service pastor. That's his first name, so you all know that one. Well, his last name is Rodriguez, Ramon Rodriguez. Maybe you know that one. But I'm pretty good friends with Ramon. I've traveled overseas. We've done lots of mission trips. I've seen his passport numerous times. So his middle name is Antonio, Ramon Antonio Rodriguez. Some people went and called him that. So then he came out and found me. He goes, if you really want to ramp it up a notch... You know, Spanish people have multiple names. He has a fourth name that he reminded, and I've seen it, but I forgot this one. 
His real name is Ramon Antonio Rodriguez Perez. So he's got four names. So feel free to call Ramon Antonio and mess with him because the first service did. But it's back to my real point. The more names you know, sometimes the better friends you are. The more names we know about our Savior, it's just better. It's a way of connecting to him in a bigger, better way, getting to know him better. Remember, that was our goal. So back to my kind of theoretical question, what would his followers and his mom have used? Well, his Hebrew given name was Yeshua, Yeshua. Many of you have heard that before, seen it written. And really, um, most Bible historians, by the way, they think Jesus and the disciples spoke Aramaic, and his name in Aramaic is Yeshu, not even Yeshua, it's Yeshu. But all Hebrew names, we'll just use the Yeshua, have a meaning. What does Yeshua mean? It ties into why he came. He, it means to rescue or really to save. Yeshua means to save. What did he do for all of us? He saved us from our sin. So then how do we get Jesus? Well, Yeshua is Hebrew, but the original New Testament was written in Greek. And if you translate Yeshua into Greek, you get a Greek word called Isus, Isus. If you take Isus and put it in the language most of us speak, if you're in this room, uh, maybe you're bilingual, but at least you know English. What do you think Isus is in English? Jesus. We'll put it on screen. It'll make more sense if you see it. You know, sometimes it's better to be visual. So Hebrew is Yeshua. Greek is Isus. Jesus is English. But, you know, some people get a little crazy with the name stuff. And once again, Jesus knows what's in our heart. He knows how much we adore and honor him. So really, it's not about any of these names. But some denominations have tried to tell some people, and I hope none of you have been under this, if you don't get baptized in the name of Jesus only, it didn't count. Because here at Calvary, we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We use all three of the Trinity. But so if you've been baptized in Jesus, it's okay. But if you've been baptized in the name of the Trinity, all three, it's okay. It's about you giving your heart to the Lord and, and saying, I want to follow you, Lord. But before I finish this little rabbit trail about Jesus' name, if we took Yeshua, which was his original Hebrew name, and put it straight to English, and we would have skipped Greek, because none of us, I doubt anyway. Anybody speak Greek in here? I'll just check. Probably not. I see a hand. I'm amazed. Wow, there's some smart people in this room, guys. Let me just tell you. Um, I know one or two words, but i got to look them up. If we would have went straight from Yeshua to English, that would be Joshua. So his English name really should be Joshua, not Jesus, only because we went to Greek first. Does it matter? No. Just so I'm real clear, it does not matter. Emmanuel, Jesus, Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua. Here's what I really kind of thought about at the end of this. Um, what name are we going to call him in heaven? I believe, this is just my opinion, almost none of them. You know what we're going to do? Lord. Lord, I'm just so unworthy to be here. We may not be brave enough to use any of those because that would be almost like we're on this first name basis with our Lord and Savior. I think we'll be in so much awe and wonder. We're just going to say, Lord, I'm so thankful to see you face to face, and that'll be the only name we could probably get out, if we can even talk at all, because we'll be face down worshiping him.
So enough about his name. Let me get off that rabbit trail. But back to our theme of God's birthday party. Well, when you have a party, when I have a party, usually it includes a birthday gift, doesn't it? Um, and if you get a really, really special gift for your birthday, maybe even for Christmas, maybe you're going to get one of these in a few weeks. If you get a really special gift, it usually comes in special wrapping. It's wrapped even extra special than normal. And you know, oh, look at that one. That one's got that special paper. I want to open that one because there's probably something really good. Now, some people can trick you with that, so be careful. But anyway, special wrapping usually signifies special gift. So if we were to go back to that verse I read us in Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 14, it talked about a virgin birth. That was an ancient biblical promise. It's a biblical truth found all through Scripture. But if you think of Mary being, in a way, the, the wrapping of Jesus, Jesus, the gift God gave us, was wrapped in a special way in, in the womb of a virgin. And last time I checked, a, a virgin birth would be a miracle, wouldn't it? That makes it pretty special. One time, one time only, never before Done, never to be done again. It was a one-time event, a miracle only God could do, a Savior that was born from a pregnant virgin. Because the world tries to discount that. I'll talk more about that in a second. Oh, that was just an allegory. That was a story they made up because Mary got pregnant and they had to come up with a reason. No, it's a truth and it has to be true. That's what I'll explain in a second. But before we move on, if you're taking notes, God wrapped baby Jesus in a miracle. He was wrapped in a virgin who was pregnant, and she was a virgin, make no mistake about it. And he had to be born from a virgin woman because he had a special purpose, to save us from our sin, to bring us salvation. So the Messiah really had three requirements. Now, the Jews tried to add a fourth one. Remember, they wanted him, if you remember the story, to be a political Messiah. That was their idea. It wasn't a requirement. Here's the three real requirements of the Messiah. He had to be fully human, fully divine, fully God, but also, the, maybe the most important part, totally sinless, a sinless Savior. So to be human, he had to be born of a woman. That was Mary. But he also had to be fully divine, otherwise he couldn't forgive our sins. So to be fully God. Well, to be sinless, and here's the part why we need a virgin mom, he had to be conceived by God, by the Holy Spirit. Because if he had a human father, we already talked about that verse in Genesis where Adam and Eve messed up, he would have had that sin that happened on that moment passed down through Joseph. That's why Joseph was just his stepdad, really. If we didn't have a sinless Savior that had to come from a virgin... He wouldn't be able to pay for our sin. Without a virgin birth, you don't have a sinless lamb. So never let the world say any different because the world's always trying to discredit our Bible, isn't it? I've talked about it a couple of ways already. And, and maybe you've heard it termed in church. We say this a lot as pastors. We'll talk about we have a sin nature because we're sort of predisposed to sin. Now, don't forget, though, Satan is a defeated enemy. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit, we have, we, we've overcome that sin nature if you proclaim Jesus as your Lord. And we'll give you a chance at the end of today to do that. But this sin gene, as sometimes pastors call it, where do we get that? Maybe you've wondered, where can I find that? I hear you guys say that, but where is it in Scripture? 
Well, it's in a few places, but one of my favorites is Romans 5.18. We're going to look at it. Romans 5.18, here it is. Adam's one sin, and by the way, ladies in the room, look who they blame, not Eve, Adam, because he was given the command, don't go over there. Eve got deceived, she messed up too, but Adam gets the blame in Romans. Adam's one sin, because he disobeyed, brings condemnation for who? All of us, everyone, me, you, everybody, everybody watching online. But here's the good news. Look at the good news right behind it. But Christ, one act of righteousness, that's his death on the cross, brings a right relationship. We restored that relationship with God the Father. Look who it brings new life to. Everyone. So Adam's one sin messed everything up for us. Jesus' sinless death on the cross restored it back to perfection. And gave us the power to say no to that sin gene, as pastors call it sometime. We're going to go back to the name for just one more second. Now, think about Joseph. I mentioned him earlier. What name was Joseph told to call the Messiah? Because remember, Yeshua means rescue, save, salvation. Well, if we were to look at a verse out of Matthew, it's probably the best. Remember, we opened up tonight, I mean today, excuse me, with Jesus is the reason for our season. One of the best summaries of that kind of concept is found in Matthew 1.21. Here's what Matthew 1.21 says. You can read along with me. She, that's Mary, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him, talking to Joseph, the name Jesus, or Yeshua, or Jesus, because he wouldn't have been speaking English, by the way, because, look at what the reason is. He will save his people, all of us, all of us Gentiles, from their sins. He is our only hope of fixing our sin problem. He's our Lord and our Savior. So, back to kind of the birthday party concept. If it's a birthday party, as I'm sort of symbolically calling it today, next weekend, who's invited? All of us. Man, you guys are on your toes today. The first service was kind of quiet when I said that. Man. Well, well, we'll see some more verses that say this next weekend once again. If you notice, I keep pointing toward next weekend. So don't miss next weekend, whatever you do. Luke 2, verse 8. I don't have it on the screen. I'm going to read it. And sometimes I'll jokingly call this, by the way, the Charlie Brown verses. Because if you know the movie, we all saw it, didn't we, when we were young, Linus gets up and reads some scripture. And if you hadn't seen it, go home and get it. it. Linus reads scripture. Here's part of what Linus reads. It's Luke 2, 8. He says, angels appeared to the shepherds living out in the fields nearby that were keeping watch over their flocks. And if I were to keep reading, they're, they're told about the birth of the Messiah. But you can kind of notice two things in that little passage. Who was the news first given to? The shepherds. And sometimes, you know, shepherds get a bad rap. You'll hear they were outcast. Well, not so much they were outcast, but they were kind of what I would call the regular, ordinary, blue-collar workers. They were us. We were the shepherds, most likely. Um, because if you think about what they did, the reason I don't believe they were total outcasts, they had to raise the sheep for the animal sacrifices, so they were necessary, but they were kind of you know, they lived out in the fields. They were a little dirtier than probably most people liked. And the priest probably saw them as ceremonial unclean certain times of the month. And 
But they were, I think the better way to view them is regular, ordinary people. So who did God tell first? Not the religious rulers, not the political rulers, not the really nice dressed people in town, the simple, ordinary people in the field got the first news. So that should give us great hope because we're all invited to God's birthday party. Simple, ordinary people. There's another little hint there, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this one because, once again, just like Jesus' name, we don't want to change anything. We don't want to focus on it. We don't want to beat this horse to death. But based on that passage, and I'll give you another reason too, it's not likely Jesus was born on, on Christmas Eve. It could have been. There's a possibility he was. I mean, Christmas Day, excuse me. It might be December. It might be September. It might be spring. We don't really know. I think God keeps that stuff from us on purpose so we don't overfocus on it. But if you look at historically, shepherds usually don't have their sheep in the fields in December because it's way too cold. And then other really smart Bible scholars have done some math based on when John the Baptist's father, who was the priest Zechariah, he served in the temple certain months, and they've backdated Jesus' birth. But does it really matter? No. We're going to choose to celebrate it next weekend. It's our choice. It's a celebration. It's about the event, not the actual day. It might be the right day. We don't know. But when you come, think of it in your mind as symbolically, this is the day we're going to Focus 100% on honoring, obeying, celebrating Jesus' arrival. Now, as Christians, we should always be honoring Jesus, shouldn't we? We should always be celebrating what he did for us, how much we're so appreciative of that. So don't get too hung up. And, and then you might even wonder, well, why are you even bringing that up, Dave? Well, over the years, once again, I've heard people kind of ask me the question, well, I now figured out on my own that he probably wasn't born on Christmas Day what else have you guys kind of kept hidden or changed, or how much can I believe? Once again, that's the world trying to wreck the gospel with false logic, if you will. So don't worry about what day he was born. Worry about that he was born, and he was born for you to save you from your sin. That is the real importance, and we're going to, once again, choose to celebrate that next weekend. It's about honoring him not about honoring a day. You know, I have two kids. They were both born in March. We don't celebrate their birthdays because it's same month. We kind of pick an arbitrary day in the middle and just have one party. It's neither one of them's birthday, but they both like it because it's their party. It's about the person, not so much the day. So next weekend, once again, it's going to be awesome. Invite your friends. We'll come sing songs about Jesus. We'll read verses about Jesus. These, this weekend and next is really all about Jesus. Well, next weekend, Pastor Dave is going to make it more about Jesus as God's gift to us. But this weekend, as I've told us probably 100 times now, it's kind of like God's birthday party. So if it's a birthday party, and it would be kind of symbolically like a party, what gift would we bring to Jesus? You know, we're not the wise men. We don't usually bring frankincense, gold, and myrrh, do we? Maybe we should. Um, but Jesus does kind of want one thing from us, just one thing, one thing only. And it's a very simple gift that he would want us to give him. 
And sometimes there's an old adage out there, a picture speaks a thousand words. This would be one of those moments, because I think this is a cartoon, but I think it really nails what Jesus wants from me, from all of you, all of you watching. That's all he wants, guys. He wants our heart. And a few weeks ago, if you were here, Pastor Dave was teaching, and he kind of talked about, you know, he used to use the words, you know, we're going to submit or or commit, excuse me, commit to following Jesus. Well, he told us that weekend that he's kind of changed his verbiage. He likes now more surrender. So my question for you, have you surrendered like that cartoon? Have you surrendered your heart to Jesus? Have you gotten on your knees and just saying, Jesus, it's all I have, but I want you to have it. Take it, Lord. I surrender. We sing songs, don't we? I surrender all. In a minute, we're going to have a closing altar call. So as we get ready for that, I would just encourage all of you. You know, maybe you've prayed that prayer. Maybe you've prayed in this, this room, actually. Maybe you've prayed it years ago. My question is, did you surrender all? Was it a partial Surrender? Was it a partial commitment? Because I did that for years. I was partially committed. Jesus wants a simple thing from us, but he really wants our whole heart, not part of it. So in a second or two, we're going to bow our heads, and if you're a Christian, you would be praying. But there's probably people in this room that as you saw that cartoon, maybe it spoke to you, Maybe as you think about us celebrating Jesus' birthday, you want to be all in for his birthday, his party next week. Maybe God has told you, hey, it's time. So I would encourage you, don't leave here today, whether you're at home watching or you're in this room or you're in the commons. When we pray this in a second, you just tell the Lord in your own words, quietly under your breath, Lord, today I give you my heart, all of it. I'm surrendering 100% to you. I want to Make you my Lord and Savior. So we're going to bow our heads. Everybody can bow your heads right now. I'm Christians, you're praying. But if you want to pray that prayer, maybe you've prayed it before, but you really now realize you weren't all in, I would encourage you, raise your hand, and I'll lead us in a prayer. So if you've prayed that prayer before, maybe you're recommitting, maybe you've never prayed it ever. Raise your hand. Keep your heads bowed. Nobody's seeing. This is between you and the Lord. It's not between... Me and you, yes, I see your hand, but it's really you and God, and you're just telling the Lord, I surrender all. And that'll really seal that deal of you surrendering to him. I see some hands. Maybe God's still speaking to some of you. Have you surrendered? Yes, hands are going up. It's okay to redo it, by the way. It's okay To re-surrender because you realize, as I did all those years ago, I wasn't fully surrendered. So I'm going to lead us in prayer, and here's what it's going to just sound like. And you just pray something like this under your breath. Jesus, I surrender. I surrender my heart to you because I want you to transform my life. I want to follow you. I want to be more like you. But I'm just an ordinary person, and I need the Holy Spirit's help. So today, Jesus... I surrender all to you. Help me, Lord, obey you better. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It's simple as that. Now, we're going to sing a last song. And by the way, if you prayed that prayer, I'll be down front. We'll have some prayer partners down there.
Come see me. Come talk to me. Come pray with a prayer partner and tell us you prayed that prayer today. But we're going to sing a special song, so I'd encourage you to stand. The name of this song is God With Us. In this song is one of his names, Emmanuel. So you praise the Lord. You worship your Savior. It's going to reference that verse out of Isaiah 7, 14, where it said, You shall call him Emmanuel. Let's sing together. Oh, you've come to bring peace, to be Yes, we can clap for that. Because God is with us, he came to the earth, put on skin, as some people like to say, to save us. Yeshua means to save, to rescue. He came with a purpose, and the purpose is for us, for you. And this season, like I said earlier when we first started, maybe you're lonely, maybe you're depressed, you're anxious, you're nervous. Never forget God is with you. Jesus is with you. The Holy Spirit's there to comfort you. Anything else is coming from the enemy, and he's a defeated enemy. But before we dismiss, we're going to have prayer partners, a prayer team down front. We'd love to pray with you about maybe you have an illness. Maybe you're, you're worried about your unsaved family. We'd love to pray with you about that. Financial need, relationship needs. We want to pray with you before you go. Also, if you're newer here, we have a, a center circle, like a ring out in that big room we call the commons. It's an information center. Maybe you just have questions, what kind of church is this? Well, normally, not this weekend, we would teach the Bible line by line, verse by verse. We'd love to tell you about that, tell you about our small groups, our classes. Because a big church like this, you've got to get in some kind of group. All our groups are going to start in um, kind of the end of January. Don't just come to the weekend. Get involved. Get plugged in. Get to know Jesus even better. And one way you do that is through classes, groups, Wednesday night, the weekend. Then last but not least, thank you for your giving. You know, maybe you're new here. You're wondering, why don't we pass a plate or an offering bag or something? We have boxes in the back. This is where you can give. You can also do that online. There's wooden boxes in the commons. One of the ways we worship the Lord is giving to the Lord. And that's how we do it is through our tithes and offerings. So...
Don't miss next weekend. Grab some invites. Invite your friends. Invite your coworkers, your neighbors. It's going to be an awesome celebration about the arrival of our Savior Jesus. Don't miss it. God bless and have a great weekend.